0: Good morning, church. I want to start off with a question this morning. When was the last time something totally unexpected happened to you? I mean, you didn't see it coming. Well, let me share two with you, one that was negative and one that was positive. First and negative. We were planning on a spring turkey hunt on a ranch just north of Mason for um, this weekend. Both sets of my kids were coming. It was going to be the first time both of my grandbabies were in the same place at the same time. But because of all this COVID scare and some complications that have Uh, arisen because of travel, it meant we had to cancel. Grandbaby time and gobblers together, canceled. Just shoot me. I certainly didn't see that one coming. On the positive side, on our doorstep this last week was a loaf of homemade bread from Little Winters. Anything that woman bakes is amazing. And I promise you, her homemade bread just strengthened that reputation. Didn't see that coming. Now, if you're watching this with someone and can hit the pause button, I'm gonna invite you to do that. Stop the video after I pray for us and share something positive or negative that made you say recently, I didn't see that coming. But first, let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful to have the opportunity to uh, be a church in probably 150 different locations here this morning. We're not the only congregation who's who's, uh, doing that. So we ask you to please be with those who are preaching, those who are editing and taping and uh, working with the sound, God, it takes an entire team to pull this thing off. And so we lift up all of those who are trying this morning to proclaim the gospel of Christ to our community and around the world. Uh, Thank you for the hope that you have put in our heart that that, uh, one day things like viruses, uh, things like cancer, uh, things like broken marriages, things like uh, babies who struggle with cancer before they're even one year old, Father, that those things are quickly going to be coming to uh, an end. Your empty tomb made that possible. And we celebrate that today, but we're not the only ones we know. The Reformed Episcopal Church is also doing that. And we ask you to please bless uh, their minister as he preaches, bless the breaking of the bread as they, they share together as a congregation. Our heart is that you would make us one, one voice, one body in this community uh, to show this uh, incredible group of folks in Kerrville that your son came and that it matters. In Christ's name we pray and everybody said. Welcome back. I love unexpected surprises that bring me pleasure, but surprises that bring me pain, (laughs) not so much. But I'm learning to believe that God uses them both to bless me. The older I get, I appreciate Charles Spurgeon's famous line, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Isn't that a great line? I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Some of you know the phrase, the rock of ages is just a metaphor for God. It's referenced in scripture, reinforcing the idea that God is immovable, that he's strong, that he's our sanctuary and our security. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 26 and verse 4 Trust the Lord forever, for the Lord our God is the rock of ages. Spurgeon is using the metaphor here of a wave to help us understand suffering and hardships that uh, strike our lives. Waves that come that He doesn't really want us to settle for just in enduring them or getting through them. No, He's encouraging us to kiss the waves, to embrace the waves, because God's doing something in us from the crashing of waves on us. I think you agree, some lessons we don't do a good job of learning during times of laying on a beach. So, God allows waves to come to our lives, like this current COVID pandemic. Oh, but what he wants for us is to find a way to embrace him, not just endure them, because it's in those ways, Spurgeon says, that we'll experience the presence of God in a deeper, more meaningful way, not less. Have you ever even heard of Charles Spurgeon before? For some of you, not many. He was a preacher in the 1950s and is said to have preached 13 times a week during his most demanding seasons of preaching. He had 56 million copies of his sermons published in over 40 languages during his lifetime. It is an understatement to say this man's influence was colossal. However, his experience with suffering was colossal as well. Like some of you, he struggled with depression, and he did it most of his life. Some of you know how debilitating that can make you feel. When depression doesn't go away even after much prayer, or counsel, or even medication, you try to rejoice in the Lord always, but the presence of depression seems to leave you crying out, oh Lord, most days. Spurgeon knows that life challenge. His wife, Susanna, was bedridden for about 25 years of their marriage. He often faced incredible opposition for some of the things he preached, especially speaking strongly against American slavery. He was persecuted severely for that. But Spurgeon was transparent about his struggles, and that's why those who listened to him loved him so. He spoke openly about what it was like to experience the suffering that came in waves throughout his life. Here's what he wrote. I have been cast into waters to swim in, which, but for God's upholding hand, would have proved waters to drown in I have endured tribulation through many flails, sharp bodily pain, succeeded mental depression. And this was accompanied both by bereavement and affliction in the person of one dear to me, the one most dear to me, my wife, Susanna. He went on to write, the waters rolled continually, wave upon wave. I do not mention this to exact sympathy, but simply to let the reader see that I am no dry land sailor. Love that. I have traveled these oceans. I know the roll of the billows and the rush of the winds, yet never were the promises of Jehovah so precious to me as at this hour. Some of them I have never understood until now. He was 53 when he wrote that, and he would die four years later. I'll say it again. I love the phrase, I'm no dry land sailor. I think what he's just trying to say is, I've experienced the waves of this world that come crashing into our lives, and I can tell you that those waves have cast me on the rock of ages, and for that I'm grateful, that I've come to know the power and the presence of God in a way I could not otherwise. A few things we know about waves. Number one, waves will come. Jesus' good friend John says in chapter 16, verse 33, in this life, you will experience many troubles, but I'm encouraging you to take heart because I've overcome them all. He's saying you can go to the beach for a few days, and it might be relatively calm for a while. But the waves will be there in some form, some level of tenacity, they'll be present. But you hang around that ocean long enough and you will experience some serious waves. It's a part of life on any beach, which is why Peter, when he's writing to the Christians that he loves so dearly, Christians who were being persecuted and suffering for their faith, he tried to encourage them through the waves that they were experiencing. Some of them were disillusioned with God because some of their hardships in their lives just were part of a life that they hadn't signed up for. Following Christ was not supposed to turn out this way. And they were starting to blame God for it. They thought, if God's on my side, if I'm on team Jesus, then shouldn't the waters be a little bit more calm? And they weren't. And so Peter writes this in chapter four and verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trails that you're gonna experience. That'll test you as if something strange were happening. Don't be surprised at the waves that are going crashing into your life to test you as if something strange were happening to you. We get that. God asks us not to act as if following Jesus makes us exempt from suffering in this world, not to think that following Jesus makes us exempt from the suffering in this world. We have the rock of ages, yes. We have the sanctuary in the storm, yes. We have the promises of eternal life, yes. But in this world, we're going to have trouble. There will be waves. So don't be surprised when they come. Because when you're not expecting them and you're not prepared for them, they can be absolutely devastating. I can think of a few reasons that we get caught off guard by them. Number one, unrealistic expectations. We have our ideas of what life would look like. And when you've experienced something that's other than that, it's understandable, it rocks our boat. For some of us, it sinks our boat. Maybe it's a threatening diagnosis that knocks your feet out from under you, or, or a marriage that, that challenged you that you thought would never find its way into your home. Maybe it's a set of unexpected expenses that come wave after wave that just set you back financially. Or maybe it's parenting's just not the smooth sailing you thought it was going to be. And it's easy to say, I didn't see that coming because it's true. (laughs) Inevitably, we'd be at my nanny's house and something would come up regarding the tragic or or the troublesome attached to something going on in our community or maybe our family or maybe on television. And she would say to us, hey, your time's coming. And I would often want to say, gee, thanks, nanny. Needed that, but I like the teeth in my mouth more so than out. And so I just said, yes, ma'am. But I know what she was trying to do. Nanny was trying to do her best to try and prepare me for this uh, life of an ocean, this ocean of life. And she wanted me to to not just get through it, uh, but to be prepared for it. So many of us think it's going to be smooth sailing, but it's just not. And I don't know about you, but it's a lot more challenging to sail this sea than I ever thought it would be. Been at it for now almost fifty-eight years, and it still stuns me some days how how difficult it can be just to get up uh, to face one more day in the storms. From the Spirit's help, God is trying to promise us we can kiss those waves, if we are Spirit-filled and Scripture-wise, which I think will just help us be more realistic when it comes to marriage. I think we all need a dose of that. It's so easy to think that your little marriage boat's going to be a cruise ship more so than a battleship. Now read Scripture, and you'll find out pretty quickly. that there's some balance that needs to go with that. It's both. When Gail and I do premarital counseling with couples at the end, just before the wedding, we always include a question that asks them to take some time and to write down 15 or 20 possible tragedies that could become a part of their lives that stand uh, as a threat to them and their family. And usually we have to add 15 or 20 that didn't make their list that we've encountered both in our own marriage and also in ministry for the last nearly 40 years. Why, why would we do that? To depress them? No, to prepare them. We want to give them some substance to that phrase they're going to utter during the wedding for worse. We know they're getting married for the better or they wouldn't be committing to this at all, but we want them to be prepared for what the worst might look like. (laughs) Almost every time they look at us like, oh, y'all are sweet, but y'all are such idiots. Then we may be, but what we're hoping is that we'll prepare them for the challenges that are going to come. Not necessarily the ones that we list, but some will come. (laughs) Well, marriage expectations are one thing. Wedding expectations, I think, are an even higher level. We've seen this. The bride comes down the aisle. No one's seen her for days because they've been working on that face area of hers for who knows how long. And I mean, a small fortune is spent getting her ready for this moment. And then all of a sudden, the music starts and everybody stands and turns and looks at her. And they're thinking she will never look this good again in her life. But the groom is standing right there with me. And he's not thinking that. He's thinking, wow, every morning this and I'm thinking, no, not even close. But the expectations are high, aren't they? And you fast forward six months later, and again, you know the scene. She walks into the kitchen. He's wearing his favorite T-shirt from his alma mater in college. It's, it's stained. The collar's got a little tear in it. And he smells like two, two-day-old socks. She's never gotten wind of that before, especially not when they were dating. He slurps his cereal so loud. And she... She's wearing this pajama set that must have been ordered from Little House on the Prairie line of sleepwear. There is zip cream on her face, and they both have morning breath that could peel paint off of the walls. But there's also this vibe in the air. This room is is tense because of an argument over where they are going to spend their very first Thanksgiving. Now, it's not like any of those things are going to be huge tsunamis that are going to wreck a marriage. But when they come uh, with intensity and frequency, they catch you off guard, and they can definitely damage a marriage. However, unexpected waves are easier to navigate when a little preparation has been made. And then he used to say preparation can lead to less agitation, so be prepared. Another reason we get caught off guard with life waves is simply this, unrealistic expectations, but also unbiblical theology. Some of us actually did grow up being taught either implicitly or explicitly that if you follow Jesus with enough commitment and faith, life's crushing waves will avoid your boat. And when that doesn't happen, it's easy to find yourself disillusioned with your faith and sometimes disillusioned with God. So Peter goes on to say this. Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Also, along with him. Brother, you're following a suffering savior. And so please don't be surprised when you suffer as well. We know that the waves are gonna come, but we also know, please hear me, the waves will stop. They're not gonna douse your life forever, I promise. Though the day's coming soon, When the waves will be no more. 1 Peter 4, verse 13. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the whole world. The waves will stop for that. It's almost as if Peter sees us getting on a boat and he says, Sportsman, come over here. I want to talk to you for a minute. Puts his arm around my shoulder and he says, You're about to start the journey of a lifetime. And you're going to face some pretty rough seas out there, and some of them may be even dangerous. There's a hurricane or two maybe even you're going to have to weather. And I wanted to let you know that ahead of time because there's more, there also may be a rogue wave or two that seems to come out of nowhere. Please just know for all of that, they're not going to last forever. They're a momentary ordeal. And before you know it, you're going to arrive into the port of heaven and all of the waters will be calm. Three suggestions before that actually happens. Number one, remain close to the captain. Jesus' brother promises, you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Number two, remain connected to your brothers and sisters. You bear one another's burdens and fulfill all the expectations of Christ for living as a disciple in this world. Number three, all the while knowing that if we remain confident, the waves one day will stop. They will stop. Revelation chapter four and verse six, Jesus' BFF describes the throne of heaven this way. And before the throne is a sea of glass that is like crystal. And I love that because there's no waves in heaven. Which is why I started a running list of what will no longer be in heaven when Jesus comes. Waves that will cease to be. In heaven, there will be no more cancer or divorce. In heaven, there will be no more loneliness, depression, casts, crutches, or wheelchairs. No more radiation or chemotherapy. No more suicide bombers or school shootings. No more anxiety medication. No more middle-of-the-night phone calls. In heaven, there will be no more crosses along the side of the road. No more child abuse or rape. No more coughs or colds or flu shots or acne. No more love handles or saddlebags or cottage cheese thighs or baldness, amen? No more double chins, body odor or morning breath. No more shaving or waxing. No more yelling or fighting or gossip. In heaven, there'll be no more traffic, no more addictions, no more road rage, no more scales, no more crash diets, no more stubbed toes or needles or taxes or concussions. In heaven, there'll be no more mechanic bills, no more traffic fines, no more lawyers, politicians, political ads, or even elections. No more funeral homes, no more nursing homes, no, way, no more halfway shelters, no more waiting rooms, no more treatment centers or courtrooms or pink slips or foreclosures, no more bankruptcies, no more motionless ultrasounds or tiny caskets. In heaven, there's going to be no tears and no sorrow and no pain of any kind. No more waves. Yay, God. The one seated on the throne promises, I am making all things new. But until then, the waves will come. And until then, we will worship as we wait in the midst of the waves. We will draw near to God as much as we possibly can. We will help our brothers bear their burdens as much as we possibly can. And we will remain confident the waves will stop as much as we possibly can. I love what Habakkuk the prophet says to try to encourage us towards that kind of response when he describes the threat of multiple waves that were a part of his life. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Sounds like some pretty rough seas, right? In this agriculture-based society, he's describing just wave after wave of disappointment and despair. But then he says, nevertheless, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He can say that, friend, because our hope is in the rock of ages and we worship this God. Now, I don't know how you'd paraphrase Habakkuk chapter three, but I probably have an idea. Though I am unemployed, though my spouse has broken my heart, though my child is born with Down syndrome, though the cancer has returned, though every organ in my body seems to be failing at the same time, though my future is uncertain, nevertheless, I will rejoice in the Lord. And I can because we worship the rock of ages. And because of that, we can kiss the ways and not settle for cursing. Now, we can have this unreasonable, illogical, almost defiant spirit of worship because of one thing and one thing only, an empty tomb. And no one saw this coming. Nobody. When Jesus died on the cross for his followers, it was, I'm telling you, a tidal wave. It was over. And though he talked about it, no one actually thought he would pull it off. Not the disciples, not Jesus' mom, not even the women that went to the tomb on Easter morning because nobody expected nobody. Yet because they witnessed him coming back from the grave because they saw him alive and they placed their hands in his nail-scarred hands and in his feet and in his side, the ways of the cross didn't just settle. He walked on. And so I can look to him for the help of the ways that come to me every single day, every single moment, even the ones I don't see coming. Laura story sings a song that I know Charles Spurgeon and any other Christian familiar with life's waves can be encouraged by. It'll help prepare any of us, I think, to kiss a wave that's coming our way, especially when you hear yourself saying, man, I didn't see that coming. Because the tomb is empty, I wanna invite you to listen with Laura, maybe even sing along with Laura. And then I wanna invite you to go and live blessed.